things <laughs> as a creative that we have to be like just be real with yourself about you know because we be lying to ourselves sometimes <laughs> we be trying to fool ourselves but it's just like don't play yourself <laughs> we are artist uprising we have started a movement call it a revival for arts and entertainment call it a renaissance or united belief that creativity should be undoubtedly expressed in a way that shapes culture for the better. That artists should have the resources they need to do the work that runs through their veins. And with the gathering of resources, we will one day abolish the phrase, starving artist. Day and night, the movement does not cease, for creativity never sleeps. Hello and welcome to the Artist Uprising Podcast. I'm your host, Larry G. Thanks so much for checking in with us as we listen, learn, and grow from some of the greatest creatives here in the world today. Today's episode is a special one as it's just a teaser into season two of the Artist Uprising Podcast. Our guest today is fashion designer. Charles Smith II of the line Smith II. In this episode, we get into a few topics as to his rise in the world of fashion. I hope you guys enjoy it. It was a great episode. Love talking to Charles. Check it out. Your Smith II spring, summer 21, 22 mm-hmm. campaign. Yeah. How was the show? And can you give me an idea of like what the concept was behind it? So I'll tell you the concept first and then we'll go into the show because right the show on. was madness that day yeah. um so the concept i called it woman because I, it was me wanting to celebrate women coming from different walks of life um and then just kind of highlighting that strength and that femininity at the same time while also you know supporting a cause um because i also tied it in with the genesis women's shelter and support um, you know, and their mission is, you know, rescuing women and children out of domestic violence environments. Um, so me just kind of also making it like a thank you letter to the women that also like raised me to be the man I am today. So this collection was me celebrating that. And also me kind of wanted to show my dressmaking abilities more so this time too yeah. as well. And really being specific with the femininity because usually I kind of kind of play with the unisex. In regards to like, oh, this also can be on men and something like that too. But I definitely kind of made it more specific like <laughs> this time. Women yeah, for like this, this dress you see, like, like I mean, clothes are clothes at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I definitely was wanting to cater to the femininity of women, you know, specifically in different ways. Whether that was long dresses, and obviously, I'm always um, just kind of experimenting with different shapes and silhouettes and just different kind of like like these curves I'm doing like in the front of the dress and kind of creating like a skirt dress situation <laughs> where I want you to still see the shoes and the legs of a woman. So there were definitely like highlight specifics details yeah. like within the collection too as well. And then being able to have new developments as far as like uh, me being a because I have my runway collection stuff, which is, you know, cut and sew and made by me. And then I now have had kind of these new developments where I kind of have like e-commerce items that are more easily accessible and come in different size ranges and I physically don't have to make it. Right. So being able to finally show and tie both the high end, low end of my own brand together, uh, which is, you know, helps people get almost like an appetizer into like the runway stuff, you know, even if you can't afford like the runway things, but you can yes. still, you still want to be a part of the Smith the second, you know, family, <laughs> you know, at the same time. What would you say the reception's been like since the show? Oh, no, it's been amazing. I mean, definitely everybody was like, you know, this is like your best collection thus far. But that's the point, you know, it's for each collection to be better than the last one. And I have to 
find ways to do that over and over again, you but know. When, but when you get people that are like showing you this much love for it and saying yeah. it's your best, is that how you come up with you thinking this is my best work? Or was this one of those things where you had the show and you were like, they're about to see something that I know is amazing. Now to get to the show part, and then I'll get into that question. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. So the actual day of the show was complete like madness, but I didn't even have time to feel through the madness because I just had to make very quick lateral decisions very fast. Right. Um, because the venue that I was supposed to use, which is the Dallas Convention Center, they end up calling and texting me like, while we're in the space setting up, telling me that I have the wrong type of insurance when we had a whole conversation about the insurance specifically. <laughs> and then I turned in my insurance and I did all this like maybe a month ago, like before, cause I like to just get all the logistics and the planning and stuff done like prior to the day of the show. So I don't have to deal with any business stuff at all. Right. And I can just kind of focus on the creative division, the style and the details, all that other stuff. Um, and then, they end up hitting me the same day saying like, oh, you have the wrong type of insurance and we need you to vacate the space. You will no longer be able to have your event. So I'm getting that news while we're setting up. And at that point, I don't even have time to like go back and forth with them about why, what the fuck, you know, I, was like, I just didn't even have the time. So right. I just had to be like, okay, moving the show. You like, you know, then I tried to move it across the city hall and I've had a show at city hall before. Um, and so I try like, you know, calling the higher ups for that too. And they were like, it's would have been cool, but you really need a permit just for liability purposes, which I understood. I didn't even try to like, again, go back and forth with them. Right. So then like in my building where my office is, I luckily I'm like super friends with like the owner of the building. And so the 18th floor is like this kind of, big open warehouse looking type of space. Um, and that's where we actually got the hair and makeup and, and stuff ready. Uh, so we wow. I ended up having to call our makeup artist while they were up there. I said, clear the space out. The show was happening there. <laughs> so she's like clearing out everything. And I had to have like, cause I also have, you know, I have like 11 volunteers. I have my immediate team of people, which is like nine or 10 people. And then I have 42 models plus my like uh, 3d projection mapping artists. And then my DJ. So it's just, I have a lot of just my in, integral team you're having to move an yeah entire i'm moving entire an, like space the entire like staff and the models of, and everything the and of. the audience of people coming Unreal. to the show so luckily we thought to like keep some like my main like one of the people from my main people and then the volunteer like a few volunteers back at the space that i was supposed yeah. to have it at so when guests yeah. showed up they could tell them to come here which luckily it was like two or three blocks up the street so it wasn't like a crazy like you know, journey. Um, so they was able to do that. And then I posted about it as well, just to kind of like cover that base, you know, and then, you know, we were able to finally, I mean, we went through a little hiccups there because the owner was answering his phone at first and the security and the owner, sometimes their communication isn't always the best. So yeah. I had to like, and he was asleep and he's getting all these phone calls. Like, he's like, what is going on? <laughs> and they come in there and they almost, and he, and like the security guy, cause he, he doesn't know me and his relationship. So he's kind of like, what is going on? This show is canceled. Whatever's happening is canceled. So some people started leaving and some people actually left and then they find out the show still happened. But I mean, obviously I said my apologies online for everybody and the inconvenience and all that stuff. But I mean, majority of the people came and stayed and we were finally able to show the show. And what's funny, conceptually, 
because we had this 3D projection mapping that originally even at the convention center was supposed to be like showing on the ground. Yeah. Um, and the, it looked like the models were walking over it. Yeah. Um, but because just budget wise, because the type of projector that he has, it's not like a regular projector. This is like some stadium projector type shit, but he owns his, my friend, he owns his, and we've done a lot of stuff together. We would have need like at least one more of those or two more of those just for the concept to look the way it needed to look. We tested it out like that Thursday, <laughs> you know, just to kind of see. And it looked cool, but it was like we needed those other right. ones for it to like visually make, have the impact I wanted it to have. So I just was like, fuck it, let's just put it up. And it still was like grand and still looked cool and everything. So it was crazy how the universe kind of worked because now – in the space now that we actually had the show yeah. because of how just straight and narrow it was and it wasn't, you know, like we weren't like up like this. It was just everyone's on the same level. But he had his projector up on the kind of this, um, this whatever, this little stand and he was able to project down onto the floor but it stretched across the entire floor all the way down. So it, it actually did what I we conceptually wanted to do in the beginning. <laughs> so it actually had the effect of them walking over like the visuals we created specically for them to walk over. Right. So, so we honestly, got to show the show. I know the universe was working. The, <laughs> the universe was like, and I trust the universe. And again, I just had to make some really quick decisions. Luckily I turned off my humanity switch earlier that week <laughs> as far as like emotions and things yeah. like that. So, cause I just didn't have time. I was dealing with, I was also wild during the collection. I'm like dealing with personal things too as well. So it was just feeling was hurting too much. And I just kind of, I have the ability to just shut it off when I need to. I and so I did that. So luckily when all that happened, there was no emotions attached to anything. I just made a decision and it was going to get shown however it needed to get shown. I was very like, I'm very decisive and I'm very like, this will happen. There's right. no such thing as like a no for me. <laughs> like well, when it comes know, to just religion. hearing about like, how and what you went through in order to like make it happen and people going and then leaving and then actually coming back. I think it just adds to like yeah. the story itself and, almost makes it like one of those things where if you miss it like, yeah it's like FOMO kind of thing yeah you know like <laughs> no seriously maybe I mean it was like almost done purposely yeah and for it's you like, to go through this to you your know? like your first question as far as like the response to the show I got a lot more praises at the fact that I still made it happen and that like my kind of people just were inspired how I kept going and I kept trying even if I moved it it was just like they saw like my perseverance and my just like dedication to like knowing and not in the willing the will to not give up <laughs> right. on just even in that that was that time frame like which most like because I had a split moment <laughs> where I, I almost allowed myself to kind of break because I was like <laughs> I was like this moments, is a lot like, that's, that's yeah. what makes you unbreak you so I think no, the good seriously. part was just you detaching yourself exactly from it, you know? like had I not done that then I probably absolutely would have broke <laughs> I mean you were talking about love and passion and stuff behind it where do you see like where does your love for when did your love and passion for fashion like uh come into play in your life man um I think it was always there just for one just being a kid from New York a kid from Harlem I mean you see it everywhere you know my mom was a model which I didn't really find that out until I started modeling at the time but um fashion has just always been just around me now, when it comes to, like, when I found my love 
for high fashion, that was when I got into modeling. And then I started, because that was what that was the uh, arena I was in as a model is doing like runaway editorial concept photo shoots and things like that. So, and it wasn't, and even then I still was trying to under, because that was a whole new world and I was in a whole new country, <laughs> you know, cause when I started modeling, it was like, after I got discovered like two weeks later, I'm like in Italy in Milan, like just, it was like a crash course, <laughs> you know, and then being with elite model management, they send you on this like boot camp in Shanghai and it's like a whole different thing. It's like, it was a, it was a lot that I had to like understand really quickly. And even once I really got past that, I still, I didn't know who like the key players were. It's like, I, I did a shoot for Lagerfeld and didn't even know who he was at the time. And this is when he was like bigger before he lost his weight. Oh, wow. And it's crazy. Even him and my relationship with him, how that came full circle, which I'll get to that part, but it's it, it, like my love for fashion really didn't come until we snuck into the Alexander McQueen show. Uh, it was his, I want to say it was his spring, spring, summer 2001. It was like this, it was like this two way mirrored box that he had them walking in, but we could see in, but they couldn't, the models couldn't see out. And then there was like another box inside of it. Yeah. And we, me and my friend, we snuck because like our friends, they were our homegirls, they were walking in the show. And we snuck into that show and then almost got kicked out. Security was about to carry us out. But then McQueen, he was walking in and he actually saw, I guess he saw how they were handling us. And he asked <laughs> us if we snuck in and we were like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, well, as soon as like the actual like attended guests are seated, he's like, if they're available seats, you all can sit down. And so we end up like, had get, you know, finding seats and we were able to sit down. And so being able to see that show because like the collection itself was like amazing, but then there was just like in the concept and the stage design. And then once towards the end of the show, the box that was inside of the two way mirrored like environment that they built, it collapsed. And then there's just like this kind of like big like lady, it covered in like moths with this like gas mask on with that had like these wings kind of hanging out wow. the mat. Like it was the most beautiful dark twisted thing I'd ever saw. <laughs> and it just resonated. It just hit me. Not even at the time knowing I would ever be a designer. Like at that time, I'm just modeling and playing basketball still. Yeah. And so that, and then being able to like hang out with like my homegirls and then him and his partner. And even just kind of when we were, they had kind of like how we have like the neighborhood here in Dallas. Uh, they had, in London is like kind of the same thing like yeah. that. And we were at, I don't remember what club we were at, but we were at some club and had a moment where we was kind of like sitting like on the couch like this. And he would just sit, and I just had to ask him, and you now being a designer, be like, what's your inspiration? Like, you know, I kind of was like, what inspired you? Like, what? I was like, where did that come from? That's what I was more interested in. I'm just like, because I was just trying to understand. <laughs> like, yeah. where did that come from? Especially when you kind of understand fashion from just thinking like, it's about the clothes. That's the one thing I love about how fashion is more conceptual. It comes from within. So him saying his inspirations, when he told me, he said his, his inspirations were religion, re religion, symbolism, and pornography. Whoa. Completely That's unrelated. so broad. Completely unrelated to fashion at all. Yeah. So that re resonated with me because I feel like I'm like, I love fashion, but my I'm inspired by things that don't have anything particularly to do with the clothes specifically. So I think that's why his show resonated with me just from the, even just the stage design of like a two-way mirrored environment in which they're walking in with this 
light and then the box and the box and the lady and the couch and it was just like all that just it was emotionally invoking and moving you know so from that point on that's when I fell in love with like fashion again it's I mean it wasn't until <laughs> like because I've been designing for nine years now so what 2010 11 is when like I started doing fashion design so it was until like 10 years later right. when I'm even thinking about but I think that always stuck with me and I remember and it probably got harbored when my basketball stuff got serious but then I just remember when I started doing fat when I wanted to start doing fashion design it was like it was hurting me not to want to express and create. So the more I did listen to it, the louder that voice became. And so it just kind of like, it just, it, it just kind of, it kept, it was like this thing chipping away. Like, <laughs> like the more I just tried to ignore it, it just kind of kept getting stronger and just getting louder. And then, I mean, that's when I went into, I'm pretty sure you got other questions it's probably going to lead into that. So I'll stop there. No, <laughs> no man, I really find, this is amazing. Like, yeah. You know, hearing this for the first time, like, yeah. I've always wanted to know that. And yeah. so to hear, like, you <coughs> kind of, like, break it down is, like, amazing. But when you talk about you finally getting into designing and that and everything starts kind of, like, clicking and making sense as, like, this is what I want to do. This is my passion. Yeah. Where does the name Smith the Second come to play? Oh, I mean, actually, that is my name. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, I yeah. mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how did you know, like... <laughs> like, how did I know to land on that This is going to be the name. This yeah. is it. Uh, because I, the idea of forever, <laughs> you know, it's like my name is forever. Now, there's always... I've heard these, you know, these different talks of, like, the good and bad of using your name as, like, your brand as your namesake and then not using it and how... the the selling of yourself and you know if you don't understand the business and the legal side it's like at least no one can ever own your name because I get that because I mean that's happened to like Valentino that's happened to certain designers where like their name kind of gets taken from them by these you know venture capitalists you know and these private equity firms that acquire fashion brands you know so it's I understand not at the time I didn't understand it I understand that now <laughs> you know but I think now understanding business I know to how not to let that happen you know so but definitely like using Smith the second I just felt like it's a it can be both things both you know elegance but I am like I I'm from Harlem <laughs> so it's like I have both like this European upbringing and I have this hood upbringing so <laughs> it's the best of street chic yes <laughs> so I like Smith the second I feel like even logo wise it's you know it, it just looked simple and made sense and then now I kind of do this thing where like I have it in braille where sometimes I like the logo but sometimes I don't want to see it but in braille it looks cool <laughs> so when people ask you then what is Smith the second? Like mm. when they ask you to describe your brand, what what do you say? Oh, I mean, for me, what I say, I, it's how do I explain it? Um, there's definitely this thing of I want you to know I exist. I don't need to be the loudest person in the room, yeah. <laughs> but my presence will speak for itself. Because that's what, when you wear the clothes, that's what happens to people that do wear the clothes. Right. And that's feedback I've gotten. That's what I've always felt when I, because that's how I am. I'm not a conversation starter. I can hold it, <laughs> but I'm not a conversation starter. But if I walk in a room, I do feel like my presence is known. But I've used kind of my clothes as like an armor 
and kind of this thing that it will make you gravitate to me and then we can start to build from there. <laughs> so as far as like that, I feel like that's been the like the continuous like DNA as yeah. far as like the essence of what Smith the Second is. Right. Um, and then just as the I guess the more how do you say uh, the superficial side, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's um, for me it's definitely going to be always experimental. But I feel like my stuff again because I find a way to mix where I come from from my life journeys at the same time so being a kid from Harlem that street element will be there you know for sure as far like what we consider street you know and then that part of that European um, aesthetic fit tailoring those type of things and details you know demi couture details it's like I like to mix in both elements because those are both my experiences in life (laughs) so I bring that into the brand at the same time you know so it's just you'll see me put you know these like lesage details on a hoodie or something (laughs) you know lesage that is a specific handcrafted detail that's done in Paris but now I'm going to put it on a hoodie. <laughs> so That's kind of what I feel yeah. like with your work and seeing it over the years evolve is that it does have that. It's a vibe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you, just the pieces and how you take it and stuff. I just, yeah, I'm hearing you now like describe it all. It's like making sense. Yeah. <laughs> like how that happens. Yeah. Um, we were talking about... Um, your show that happened earlier looking back to like your first show compared to like your shows now Mm. what have you what would be like the biggest lessons you've learned and what's what's different now from a smith the second show to a smith the second show today uh i mean definitely the craftsmanship (laughs) (laughs) specifically for sure you look at some of those first pieces like i was okay it was like yeah. you're like a kid with new toys learning shit but you're not yeah. you're still rushing through it a little bit but I also was a kid who like if it wasn't to the standard that I thought it should have been at that time with the skill set that I had at that time I would undo it to redo it right. um, because I was definitely working with like much more difficult materials from the jump like leathers like I, I worked with leathers first before I got into like knits and jerseys and like yeah. more softer materials and cotton and stuff uh, but I've all my life has always been like that. I always do, do things the hard way and then work my way down to the easier things. So definitely like the craftsmanship. I feel like definitely my business understanding is way better now. I and mean, that is the most vital part to me at this point. Like, I mean, because to have the creativity is cool, but if you don't understand the business, all that creative shit don't matter. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that because... <laughs> You know, at the Artist Uprising, like this podcast, we we basically are here as kind of a platform for up and comers, like people who are looking for inspiration, but maybe don't have the outlet to like go to. So that being said, what would your advice be to an artist or an aspiring designer who is wanting to get their line out there and doesn't have like the natu- the resources or the connections to do so, but they've got the talent. What would your you know advice to them be? Uh, understand your why 
first of all, because that's something you're always going to go back to in the hardest times and in the most depressing suicidal times (laughs) is understanding your why, because that's what's going to continue to push you to understand that you're on the right path if you believe in yourself and then trust the decisions that you make and then trust your gut. That's just one. Um, And then um, definitely doing your research as far as like your business part. And it's just even just not just in the creative side, but more so on the like understanding your finances, understanding like when you start selling, get you a business account from the jump, (laughs) you know, understanding that part because the moment that you want to start talking about like, oh, I want to invest in investments and private equity and venture capitalists and all this type of shit. Like, you're going to have to have that. Like, you know, you're going to need that because they're going to want to know your bottom line. Keep up with your bottom line. How, like, in the best way, have everything go into one place because as creatives, you know, we're taking cash, we're taking Venmo, we're taking cash. Like, even if you do all that, connect it to your business account and put it right in there every time. Like, that way, at least it's going all into one place. Even if it's coming from here, it's like, it's all going into one place. That way it can be tracked, right. <laughs> you know? So it's just like, that's important. And, and really just understanding how to get capital and understanding, you know, what do you have to put together to even get capital? <laughs> you know, like these like startup pitch decks and understanding pitching like that. It's like all those things we are not taught, like in the create, creative no, world. I had to, I had, I, I had to go, through some shit over the years just yeah. to understand. I mean, I had to go through life's process, to be honest. I'm like, no school taught me that. Like, even understanding private equity, venture capitalists, I learned that from an XXX who was in business. And that's what she does. What She doesn't do that for a living, but she handles finances. And her yeah. family is in finance and stuff. So she understood. When she Even the word private equity, I didn't even know about the word. So once I understood the what to look for, I understood what to want. <laughs> you right. know, So it's like cause sometimes we don't know what to want because what we don't know what we just don't know you know so once I like understood what private equity was and what venture capitalist was then I started to understand wait a minute some of these things have been in front of me and I just didn't know that that's what it was like LVMH group that's what they are like LVMH they own Dior they own Balenciaga they own Givenchy they own all these big major fashion houses they're pretty much a venture capitalists, they're pretty much a private equity firm because they are the capital that funds all of these businesses. You know, all these design houses, you know, and they acquire, they own Hennessy. They got 50% Mm. stake in Jay-Z's Ace of Spades. Like, you know, it's just like, when you start to know and understand all that, then you understand like, how are these business infrastructures functioning? Like, are they just doing it themselves and make them like, no, they're getting upfront capital (laughs) that allows them to have the infrastructure that they have. And then understanding infrastructure, understanding the roles of operations within the infrastructure, understanding the different phases in which roles are even necessary within your infrastructure. It's like, I had to learn all of this <laughs> on my own right. and it took me years <laughs> you know and i'm in the past two or three years i'm just not even like implementing understanding how to work better <laughs> you know how and understanding all of that allows me to understand how to create with i was always creating with intention creatively 
Now I'm creating with intention, with the bottom line in mind, <laughs> you know, not losing sight of my creativity because sometimes, yes, if you're focused too much on just making money, but it's not about the money. Now I just know how to work smarter as far as like my steps, you know, and not being afraid to start over too. Now, yes. <laughs> yes. Not being afraid to start over, not being able, afraid to like, Shit. because we're very ambitious in yeah. our creativity and we want to do these big things and want to have these big shows. I want to do these big collections, but I'm like, I had to kind of scale back a second, you know, and not be afraid to just, just do 10 items. Just do, because I wish I would have started that way and then scaled up, but I started like this and then with this and now I'm doing this, you know? So it's like, and, but I mean, but that's a part of life lessons, you know, and I learned that and understand that now and am okay with that too <laughs> you yeah. know and also just being okay with it because <laughs> that's also another there's a lot of internal things <laughs> as a creative that we have to be like just be real with yourself about you know because we be lying to ourselves sometimes <laughs> we be trying to fool ourselves but it's just like don't play yourself <laughs> well, i'm just gonna say this i'm like i wish like, I would have heard this stuff when I was, like, 10 years ago. Uh, but you've been just dropping all these gems, and I feel like I can't wait for this episode to come yeah. out because when we put the promo out, I mean, you're just, it's like these truth bombs. Like, yeah. everything And there's not enough saying, time because there's so much more. There is not enough, t unfortunately. But I want to thank you, though, for yeah. coming on um, and giving us this opportunity. I'm super grateful for, uh, you know, this you to be for able to sit me, with you. I haven't <laughs> seen you in a minute. Uh -huh. So for us to be here is like really amazing. I uh, would uh, wanted to see uh, for our listeners and our viewers, if uh, they want to know more and reach out to you or anything, how can they find you on social media? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I know on Instagram, Twitter, both the same things. I use Instagram way more, um, but it's at Smith the Second S M I T H T H E two N D like second place. Same thing for Twitter, and then just my website at www.smiththesecond.com spelled out S M I T H T H E S E C O N D dot com. Yep, and then just my email, which is all in there too. So <laughs> thank you. So yes, for this opportunity. No, thank man. you. I, I appreciate, appreciate you, it. and I'm proud of you for <laughs> giving you know people like myself these platforms to you know voice our art and medium and expression and our thoughts and feelings we, and, we need it. We and all, just we having these conversations. Other. You know, yeah. because something that either me or you says will spark you know inspiration or it's oh new way of thinking for other people the next to one, like I know I've taken do. some of the things you've said today to heart for myself yeah. where I'm going to probably get on the phone with my business partner and yeah. talk to him about it well I hope you guys enjoyed that preview episode with Charles Smith II trust me you do not want to miss the full episode our special thanks again to Charles Smith II of Smith II and be on the lookout for season 2 of the Artist Uprising podcast thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you soon we are the artists that make our cities one of a kind. We are the artists behind all the beauty, even in your home. From the architecture that defines the place where you rest, to the space in between lined with fine art, handcrafted furniture, and vintage finds, there was an artist who gave you a priceless gift, a piece of themselves. It is our mission to abolish the term starving artistry. This podcast is about interviewing those who have paved the way with their successes in the arts and entertainment industry. Tune in as they give other emerging artist listeners tips to success, as well as advice in the midst of a tipping point. This podcast series will also be a platform to discover together new emerging talent from all over the world. 
Stay tuned and explore the next Artist Uprising. Use hashtag Artist Uprising to join the movement.